This is Rabbi Neetlea Sarna and Rabbi David Wolkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anche Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful, if chilly, Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. This week's episode has two parts and an interview. First, we'll have a Parsha-themed discussion of Tfilat Mincha, the afternoon service, which, of course, you can participate in any day of the week at Anshay Shalom. We'll follow that up with a discussion of our new Sidor decision. So exciting. It was a very long process. And we're thrilled with the decision that the show has come to on this front. And lastly, we'll round it out with an interview with Aaron Katchen, who works for Koren and who will be essential in our acquisition of our new Cedarim. So that is also very exciting. We hope you enjoy this episode. So in this week's Parsha, Parsha Chai Sarah, we have the invention of Mincha, or at least so the rabbis say. <laughs> yeah, where, where do the rabbis say that? Because I don't remember Mincha appearing anywhere in Parsha Chai Sarah. Well, here's where it appears in Parsha Chai Sarah. It say, So Yitzchak moves to Be'er L'chai um, which is, that's like where Yishmael went, by the way. That's like the Yishmael spot, yeah, um, yeah, which is yeah. always, like, you're always a little fascinated. Like, what was he doing there? Who was he visiting? And anyways, fine. Great tangent for another time. Great tangent for another time. <laughs> um, and there, by Yitzchak, Lasuach Basada. Yitzchak went out, Lasuach, to walk in the field, to meditate. The King James Version translates it as to meditate in the field. Maybe they knew about the Gemara. Lifno Arev, Vesayna, Vayar, Vehineg, Malim, Vayim. And he raises up his eyes and he sees, and, and the camels were coming. And this is how you know that you need a daven with a mechitza, because otherwise you'll meet your wife. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what the rabbis say. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so here's Masachai Bracha. But let's just, but just to, the context is important, though. Who is, who is on that camel? Oh, Rivka, Rivka. Right. And she sees, him, she sees him davening Mincha. And, and she, she falls off her camel because men davening are really... Something about, something about Yitzchak in his... <laughs> da- okay, it was very powerful, okay? That's and he was probably not wearing a talis because then how else would she know? Who it was, right? <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But... He was the one for her. <laughs> um, anyways, fine. So so the, the Gemara in Brachon has two different... Um, approaches to kind of where davening comes from. So one is that davening um, and our, our specific daily tefillot come from korbanot. And there's a lot of evidence for that, like being the real thing, meaning like Musaf is all about they brought these extra korbanot. And on on days when they brought extra korbanot, we say Musaf. And on days when they didn't bring extra korbanot, we don't say Musaf. So according to that approach, Shachrit is the... Is the morning daily korban tamid. And Mincha is the afternoon korban tamid. And Marev is the burning of all the extra stuff that's like left on the Mizbeach after the whole day. Um, which which I always love. Like a, another tangent for another time. But like I love thinking about Marev as like burning of the stuff <laughs> of your day. Um, and anyways... Um, but then the other approach in the in the Gemara is that the the patriarchs actually invented these tefillot. So we didn't we didn't wait until we brought sacrifices to have tefillot. No, the patriarchs themselves, um, tiknum they they established them. Um, the, and the patriarch who establishes mincha is Yitzchak. So the Gemara says Yitzchak tikein tefillat mincha. Yitzchak enacted established. Um, the Mincha prayer, Shnemar, Vete, Yitzchak, Lasuach, Basada, Lifno, Arev. As it says, then Isaac went out to Lasuach, Basada, to meditate in the field, um, before the evening. Ve'in Sicha, Ela, Tfila, 
it says the Gemara, there's no such thing as Sicha other than it must be Tefillah, it must be Davening. And how do we know? Because it says in Tehillim, Tefillah Aniki Ya'atof, the prayer of one afflicted um, when he, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways of understanding Ya'atof, maybe wraps himself, whatever. Um, this is the important part. And before Hashem, he pours out his Siach, his meditation, his conversation. Um, and so that's how you get siach to be davening, right? Tefillah. Um, and then from there you say, oh, what was Yitzchak doing? It must be that he was also um, davening. And we know it was Lifnot Arev. We know it was in the evening time. And what davening is in the evening time, if not... Lifnot Arev, before the evening right, time. Right, before, what, sorry, what davening is before the evening time must be Mencha. Thank you. Um, so there we have Yitzchak and our Parsha enacting the Mincha prayer. And it's appropriate to reflect on that at this time of year because we've just uh, changed our clocks and to go back to standard time. And Mincha is kind of a challenge at this time of year. I, I, you know, as we're, The day that we're recording this, um, the range of appropriate times to say Mincha is a pretty short range. The earliest Mincha today, I'm just recording this on... Can we reveal that? Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. It's uh, November 13th, and the earliest mincha today is 11.59 uh, and 25 seconds. And you can say mincha until sunset, which is 4.31 and 51 seconds. So that's um, both not very much time and also hugely inconvenient time. Yeah, that that's, that is entirely contained within the workday uh, or, or the school day for many people. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, um, it's a hard obligation to, um, to fulfill at a t- this time. In the summer... You can say mincha at eight thirty in the in the right. Mm-hmm. Then you can put all your kids to bed, have dinner, um, take a shower, and then and then say mincha and and you know and, as that. as the sun sets uh, in the winter and this in the fall, uh, saying mincha requires like, actually extricating oneself from one's routine, finding a quiet spot, and uh, uh, for for mincha in the midst of one's other responsibilities. What's the weirdest place you've ever davened mincha? I used to. Um, I don't. It's not so this I can't do so much anymore. But you don't have to as much. But I used to. Uh, Go into uh, like payphones, mm. where it used to be really convenient. Like if yeah. it was like the afternoon, I was walking in the city streets, and you could just duck into a payphone booth and like pick up the phone, and <laughs> no one would know what you were doing. And totally, uh, that's super convenient. People now will like put their phones on their ears and David Minha standing like next to a building, because then if you're just like standing there, no one like looks at you because you're like as if you're doing something. I feel like that's the the modern equivalent. I get, yeah, yes, the modern equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But definitely, like, in college, I was always, like, this time of year especially, it was, like, always between classes. Like, I have, like, seven and a half minutes. Like, gotta, like, find a classroom. And, uh, and, and then, like, people would walk in and you'd be like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for, for those listening, which is everyone, you're, 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 I don't know, your, your face is one of uh, um, frustration and exasperation. Yeah. <laughs> having the face one would make when you find a quiet room uh, where you think you can dive a mincha uninterrupted. And then a whole classroom of people walks in or something, and you're like in the middle of a shmona I can't even begin to describe how many times that happened when I was an undergrad. Um, so it's good to plan in advance and to sort of plot out one's day and to think, okay, so here's what I have, just as you would plan, like when am I going to eat lunch in the course of my day, and when am I get my coffee and what, what's my what's my schedule so let's put five ten minutes uh, for mincha where can i put that in my schedule yeah and and often it's really hard meaning like if this is the middle of your work day and you work at a cubicle then like finding somewhere where you could dive in mincha is 
really challenging. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in the Talmudic times, uh, people who worked, uh, who were paid uh, like hourly wages, were exempt from from saying full mincha because you know, like it was understood that you had a job that you couldn't, you know, step away from even for a few minutes. That's really not the employment um, circumstances I think any of us work under right now. And so, right. it really, is appropriate to find time to say mincha, and and it is the type of accommodation that workplaces tend to provide. Without, Especially because without... it's like, if you're davening alone, Mincha, like that's five minutes. I mean, maybe you're really from and it's seven, but <laughs> seriously. Like, um, but also, uh, the, the Talmud really imagines, like, um, it imagines people davening in the middle of their work days. Like there's people, if you're if you were working in a tree and yeah, it's like yeah. time to daven, like do you have to get down from the tree you're working in? Like really types of labor that are kind of very specific and, and kind of funny to imagine. So also. we should clarify, though, you don't have to, um, if you're in a car, you can stay seated in the car and say mincha if you're, you mm-hmm. know, that, that's... As long as it's safe. But if you're driving the car, I'm not sure that you should <laughs> say mincha. That, that seems like it's probably, you're going to be distracted. But if you're in a taxi or on a bus or on a train, you can mm-hmm. say mincha seated. Uh, if you're in an airplane, you can say mincha seated or any tefillah seated. Or you don't, it's uh, standing. You mean you shouldn't like go stand exactly where the flight attendants need to get to <laughs> and like collect a whole bunch of people around you in a I, minion? I, I don't think they're extra points. A lot, a lot of the like, <laughs> contemporary post game have really condemned airplane minyanim. Didn't the RCA uh, put something out about it? Oh, yeah, that was a few years ago. They yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cause it, because that prayer with a minion is, is really great, not at the expense, not at somebody else's cheshmo, not if you're disrupting the flight attendants' distribution of sacks, not if you're interrupting the people who are maybe want to sleep and you're blowing shofar and Kodesh Elul or whatever you're doing, you know, like... Uh, uh, oh, my. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that it might be possible if, with, with the cooperation of the flight team, that there could be a spot and times where it's not disruptive to the drink distribution or whatever, it's not blocking the bathrooms, it's not waking other people, that really depends on the flight, but, I, you know, you mincha should not... Um, because you can say mincha at your seat without a minion, you shouldn't be you know interfering with other people. Totally, but I do think, and 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 the sources kind of back it up that that there's something actually really special about mincha that as opposed to shacharit or mariv, which are, are much less disruptive. Meaning, okay, like you might have to wake up earlier than you would otherwise because you need to schedule in time to daven shacharis, or like <laughs> I've. Um, Friends who call it like the oh shoot Mariv, where you're like already in bed and oh, then you yes. get back out of bed because you realized you didn't have a Mariv yet. But there's kind of like easy kind of benchmarks that you have some control over for Shacharit and Mariv, whereas Mincha, the timing of it, especially this time of year, um, is really tough. But the Talmud and other places kind of recognizes that you get extra extra reward for actually carving out the time to say Mincha and not forgetting about it. Um, that Elijah the prophet, the Talmud says, was was answered in the Mincha time because like that. That's like the most, uh, it's the time when like God is listening and because you've like made it to Mincha. Rabbi Chalbo says, in the name of Rav Huna, right? You should always take special care uh, in, in, your, in your Mincha prayer because that's when um, Eliyahu was answered. That's in Brachot 6b. Yeah, uh, also just worth reminding everyone, there are... Mincha options, maybe close to like minion, minion yeah. even close to your work. We have on a bulletin board in the shul like a list of um, like early mincha minyanim throughout the Chicago area. There are several downtown. There might be some near where you work, and uh, I guess for some people, we are a 
uh, you know, oh close to their work. Yeah, it's interesting to see, like, terms of our shul's daily minyanim, we, we have, of course, regulars from the shul, and then we also have, like, a cast of characters who come in seasonally, people who regularly do business in Chicago and come join us whenever they're in town, and we sometimes several times a year, people who come in once every year or so for conferences and come to us for, for minyanim, mm-hmm. and also people who come in the winter, in particular, because they work not that far, and... So the winter is the only time when they're able to like hop on over to the shul for for Minchamari with us, and we we try to incentivize that behavior. Yes, we, we <laughs> one such individual who's now saying Kaddish on behalf of a relative. He is um, he endowed a, the purchase of a whole bunch of Milt's gift cards, which we have been uh, raffling off uh, to those who attend. Uh, Minchamarev during weekdays. So uh, we, we sort of, we've announcing that we've been, the days when we do that, it goes out on the uh, weekday Minion WhatsApp group. Which if you're not on, you should definitely, definitely join. Be, definitely. Lots of great, exci- I mean, you should join if you live in Lakeview and could sometimes come to Minion. I don't yeah, think, right, of course. I don't think, uh, you know, <laughs> otherwise I don't think it's that interesting, but... Um, well, so, you'll find out whether you got a Minion or not. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, like I said, not that interesting, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, we we we, we try to announce in advance to incentivize people who might change their schedule in such a way as to be here from Minchamarev on a weekday afternoon. The method I, I came up with is everyone who wants to participate in the raffle raises his or her hand, and we just sign everyone a number, one to however many, however many people there are, and then I, I have uh, Google give me like a random number generator and... Uh, it generates a number, and that's the winner. So mm-hmm. but it's entirely fair, right? It's no, no. super fair. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so if you want to, like, eat a lot of milks, you should definitely <laughs> come to Menchamarev. So in exciting news, our show finally made a decision about what Sidor we will be purchasing. I actually think we could just sort of say, in exciting news, our show finally made a decision. I think anytime, <laughs> anytime a community as large and diverse as ours makes a decision, that's... Cause for celebration. Right. What's it? Ain simcha ela, you know, hatzor right? Right. Yeah, just exactly. resolving doubt is itself a source of rejoicing, right? There's a niggin for that, yeah. It's called hatzor okay. hatzor Okay, he'll teach me one day. We should yeah. have sung it at the board meeting. So for a period of... Really, I think years we've sort of been aware that um, our stock of cedarim in circulation has the number in good quality and condition has has declined. We don't quite have enough, and our numbers swell for a simcha. And you uh, love calling pages into books, right? That's your favorite I, I part of Shabbos. Calling, yeah, you know, I, I think it, it limits the amount of pages we can call. And the poor so colorblind odd. people who can't tell the difference between the green book and the black book. What about them? So many, so many, so many <laughs> problems in the calling lots of pages. It's just confusing for people who are like, calling pages for people who, you know, are unfamiliar with Tzvilah, and then you're, they have to like, what book do I have, and what's going on, and like, what am I listening to? So this is all to say that there, it was understood that there would be a, a desideratum to have one Sidor that would be the main Sidor of the Shul, that pages could be announced only in that Sidor, uh, and just for the sake of facilitating just a smoother, more elegant, more accessible and inviting uh, tefillah experience, especially for newcomers. And um, I wrote two lengthy memos <laughs> explaining that, uh, one of which was shared with the shul, one of which was then published online uh, for the... And we're going to actually use the podcast right now to just read them, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought I'd sort of just, like, maybe briefly summarize and said, um, like, sort of what the, uh, I guess what the process sort of came down to, because there were really, the, the options that we were considering ended up being somewhat different from what I had thought at the start of the process. Uh, I had actually thought that the new RCA Cedar, uh, which is uh, published by the RCA but printed by Corin Publishers, would be like a kind of a nice uh, like consensus Cedar for everyone. Like maybe nobody's first choice, but maybe like a close second for everybody. But really, not that many people liked it, um, and uh, for various reasons. And so uh, it just sort of seemed like why, why pick something 
that doesn't... That, like, no one's perfectly excited yeah, about Yeah, in other words, all the others are, like, excellent in some ways, and this was sort of mediocre in everything, right? So it's maybe the least offensive, but also, like, has nothing so, like, super exciting about it. So that sort of became less of an option, and what then emerged are really two two truths, right? You know, so I forget who else has said this. Uh, the opposite of a simple truth is a lie, but the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth. <laughs> so two profound truths emerge. One is that... Uh, <laughs> The current Saxidor, the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs's translation and commentary, is just an exemplary English language presentation of tefillah with a commentary that like serves the needs that we want a Sidor commentary to serve in our community and a translation that serves the needs that we want a translation to serve in a community like ours. Uh, that's like profound truth number one. Uh, and, and the other profound truth is that there are uh, a number of individuals, particularly some older individuals, who um, just had great trouble using the current font and layout, and also maybe even more than that, just a great affinity for the classic Art Scroll Sidor from the 80s, like sort of a modern classic of graphic design. Uh, it's very, very clear um, font the and printing and the yeah. con- page and, and et cetera, et cetera. They really like yeah. it. They're used to it. And, you know, so so it, also another like, uh, like effort, whatever, you know, like the, the story of the kids fighting over this one there's one lemon and the brother and sister both want the lemon and they're fighting and fighting and fighting who's gonna get the lemon and then it emerges that one wants the lemon to make lemonade and one wants the peel to zest it for baking <laughs> and so there's really no conflict at all so here too there's really not much of a conflict at all because my my um i don't really care <laughs> like i have no, no vested interest in people using uh, the shul has no interest in what sidor individuals use and uh I, if there's a sidor that is going to facilitate your prayer experience, by all, for all means, use right. it. And We're so and, lucky to live in a world where there's a million different cedarim with all different sizes and shapes and layouts and colors. And nuschaot also. And nuschaot, right. And, and, and thank God we have a learned community where people know what the options are and have chosen ones that are best for them. And, and that's, honestly, that's a blessing, meaning whoever's davening from the Amud should daven the nuschaot of the shal. But if, you know, whoever, whatever you want to do in the privacy of your, you know, seat, um, in terms of tefillah, like, Great, take advantage of what's out there. Like, that, that's like a distinguishing feature of orthodoxy. I have a, I have a, uh, a reformed Jewish friend who sort of pointed this out ironically that um, the orthodox sitting of all the denominations, it's like most acceptable to be using your own book and saying your own words and standing and sitting, you know, irrespective of what other people are doing <laughs> is the orthodox sitting because we're here to, to, to dive in, like as individuals, we have, we have obligations to fulfill and we're going to do it in the way that, you know, is at the pace that's appropriate for us in the sea door that's, so, so that's, so that's great, and and we can facilitate that. We can have the shul can stock a collection of ten different varieties, or you know enough art schools for anyone who wants to find one and use one. Um, but we also want to have enough of one other sidor so that the the kind of uh, forward facing, outward facing, you know, uh, presentation of the shul uh, exhibits a vision of modern orthodoxy and religious Zionism that that we feel is going to be compa- and accessibility and and and, um, and beauty that we feel is going to be um, compelling to to visitors and people who have no particular preference. We t- okay, so here's here's how our shul prays, and so uh, we're going to purchase a larger number of current sidurim. Those will be the main sidur we use. Those will be the ones that page which we announce pages, but we're going to make sure we have enough art school you know, in, in good quality so that somebody who wants one can find one.
find one. You know, you'll have to look for them, but it won't be hard to look for, to find them. And if you know where they are, then you won't have to look for exactly, them. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And the the other two pieces of like technological help, we, we're going to print out and put in these articles to read a page. Someone called it a Rosetta Stone recently. Rosetta Stone, fine, <laughs> that's good, right? So when page two hundred and seven in the Quran gets announced, uh, you know that's page two hundred thirty-two. And yes, that is an actual corresponding page. Okay. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so well, this is very easy to prepare this. I think they already exist and we will have them. But you like, could just do it out of your brain, no? I, I could, I could. But I'm not going to have to anymore. That's the point. That's the point. Uh, we'll clear uh, up space for other things. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe you'll know more people's names or something. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, and the other the other technological solution, the other sort of in the course of this uh, research process, I kind of realized that, um, you know, I, I noticed and... Um, and, and been upset by the fact that the article Sidur has a translation that really is, it's, it's a reference guide, but it's not meant to be used for prayer purposes, okay? It's printed in italics. It uses, it says Hashem instead of any name of God in English or Hebrew. Uh, so it's it's not something you could you could pray from. It's something that you, okay, I'm reading this, this line in Hebrew. I don't quite know what this word means or that word. Let me look at this translation. Now, the problem is we have people in our shul who do use the English pages of the Sidurim to pray from, which is very appropriate. Like, the halacha is quite clear. You can pray in any language that you understand, Hebrew or any language that you understand. Yeah. Uh, and it's very appropriate for somebody who's new to tefillah to be saying some or all or occasional prayers in in English. And not only... so. The Quran translation by Rabbi Sachs, it's a, it's a beautiful translation. It's an elegant translation. It's a learned translation. Uh, it's also one, so that's that's all aesthetic and beautiful and like promotes the mission of the shul, but also the, the article, because the article translation says Hashem's name, I thought, okay, that's going to be alienating and off-putting, merely alienating and off-putting to people who aren't familiar with orthodoxy, but it also has halachic ramifications because you haven't fulfilled your obligation to say a bracha if you haven't said, if you say Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, that, that's like, by definition, Hashem that's is the That's how name. you do the opposite of fulfilling your obligation. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to say a bracha right now because it's like not, like let's say I'm not about to drink wine, so I would not say, I would say bracha ta Hashem, muri priyagafen, right? Because right, you're discussing what the bracha is, you're teaching somebody, yeah. you're talking about brachas, you're learning a song, which, so you say Hashem, but it's like, it's like, but that's how you like don't do the thing. Right. So if you're actually trying to, so if somebody who re- so I think we'll have like some sort of warning label in the art school seat room saying, you know, for anyone who picks one up, like here's how it should be appropriately used. This exactly, exactly. This trans- this translation is really for reference purposes. It's not designed for prayer. If you are praying in English, maybe use a different sidor, or certainly don't don't say Hashem, say God or Lord or or, or say one of God's names in Hebrew, you know, as, as appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what we're excited for about the Corden Cedar. Like, yeah, so what, really, what does it have going so for So I'm it? really excited for its English translation. As I've said, I think our community, we use the English from time to time. Again, newcomers uh, or even oldcomers who just aren't quite so familiar. What does this paragraph mean? What does that word mean? It's a beautiful translation that was under that was edited by somebody who uh, is a great rhetorician. A great Rabbi Sachs is one of the most effective uh, communicators in the English language about Jewish topics, right? Or any topic, mm-hmm. I guess. He's a very effective communicator. He has a beautiful writing style. And we have the advantage of a translation undertaken by somebody who loves two languages. That's really, really special. His commentary, likewise, is responding to the kinds of questions that uh, that our modern worshippers, people in Lakeview who come into our shul, the questions we would have about what is the section of tefillah about? What is prayer about? What's the mitzvah of prayer about? What's the prayer experience about? Those are the questions he's responding to, and he draws on a wealth of sources, both Jewish and non-Jewish, as as places to turn to to kind of help him elucidate and introduce us uh, to the prayers. And, and the Siddur also, the content of the Siddur, it's designed for a modern Orthodox and religious Zionist community in a few, in many ways, I'd say maybe like two or three, right, and one, um, 
it includes liturgical additions to um, like recognize daughters and how happy we are to have them. Okay, <laughs> uh, in our community, when a daughter is born, parents almost always have some sort of religious ceremony to celebrate her. Not just naming her um, at Christmas, which is lovely, but also some sort of simchat bat or zevet habat, some religious ceremony to express thanks to God for this gift of a daughter and. The Korn Sidor has such a ceremony that's hundreds of years old, mm-hmm. uh, and it's printed in the, the same books that we use every day, every Shabbat, every holiday. Here is this ceremony that you were, it's not something you like found on the internet. Um, it's something that like the, that the Sidor that our community uses each day feels is worth putting between the covers of a book. And when that girl grows up and becomes bat mitzvah, there's the same, um, the liturgy for uh, Mishaberach for bat mitzvah Correct. is printed on the same page as the Mishabarach for a bar mitzvah. Correct, correct. Right, which is... Uh, which is know. about all the liturgy any bar mitzvah has, so... <laughs> right, uh, yes, as is appropriate for like for our community where we... Um, you know, we celebrate bar mitzvah correct, correct, regularly. Correct, yeah. and on the religious Zionist angle, um, the Sidur has um, the liturgy for Yom Ha'atzma'ut, which is and a Yom liturgy Yom that our community... We say it. We, we treat Yom Atzimut, Israel's Independence Day, uh, as a day of religious significance. And we mark it as a day of religious significance. We come together in large numbers um, and have festive prayers in our in our shul, right? And hundreds of other shuls just like this one all across the world. And this Sidur puts those prayers, again, you know, in between the pages of uh, the covers of, of our of our Sidur. It also includes lots of the guidelines for um, people who travel between Israel and the United States frequently, which is something that... Thank God, we we have the merit to do mm-hmm. you know somewhat freak some of us uh, more frequently than others, but that's that's like a regular occurrence in our community, and there are all sorts of liturgical questions that like so, like for example in Israel they begin saying ten uh, already um, um, after on, on the seventh of Cheshvan, so right, right after uh, the ancient times after the uh, pilgrims could uh, return home return home from, so it wouldn't rain on them right they come to Yerushalayim <laughs> for Sukkot and they go home. And then they can they can start praying for rain. Uh, we wait until December uh, to start uh, t- saying that. So I was in Israel on the seventh day of Cheshvan, and right. so right there's a question: What should you do when you're in Israel? Or last year there was someone from Israel who was in Arshal on the seventh of Cheshvan, and he piped up and was like, "What's going on here?" Because uh, yeah. I He was like, "You know, you said it wrong." That's <laughs> um, and so, but what's that person who's in Arshal supposed to do? Who's uh, Ben Eretz Israel, someone who their permanent residence is in Israel, who's traveling here, and what am I? supposed to do when my, my permanent resident is unfortunately in outside of Israel and I have you know the great privilege to travel to Israel and um, and what am I supposed to do while I'm there so these kinds of questions that you know you don't have to look far you don't have to do deep research there to be found exactly in the in the back of the currency door um, and they have some other very useful things. What parts of davening can you interrupt? For what other parts of davening? Um, right, there's like a, there's like a, a chart. A right? chart, yeah, they have a chart. It's a great chart. It's a little bit confusing to use, but if you get the hang of it, then it's uh, right. It's much better to come on time to shul and not have and to not have uh, questions like but that. Even yeah. if you're a minute or two late, though, you could still be like if you're. Um, say, still saying psuke to zimra while the chazan reaches. Chazi kaddish before baruch right. to respond to baruch in the middle of psuke to zimra. Right, that 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 could. You could come pretty much on time and just be a minute behind uh, where everyone yeah, else is. Yeah, you just say psukhidism slowly or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Anyways, right. The, the, the halacha sections actually in the back of the Quran are very useful and interesting and, and also just worth, uh, as they say, perusing at your leisure. <laughs> as they say. <laughs> uh, just because you can learn things about it, holidays and, and all sorts yeah. of stuff in the, that's in the back there. That's actually very nice. Um, so, yeah, so we're really thrilled about this decision. And, and, and in the coming 
weeks and months. The, the purchase will be made, the books will be introduced, the sorting will take place, and the, all of those technological fixes will be introduced. So, so it'll be a, well, it's not going to be tomorrow that you'll see like a, all of a sudden a change in shul, but this will be communicated to the congregation and some process will be uh, thought through of, of implementing this decision. Yeah, but we're, we're very excited about it. Okay, our guest today is Rabbi Aaron Katchen, who is our friendly local uh, sales rep for Corin Publishers. Uh, so welcome to uh, Schlensky Studios. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, so tell us a little bit about what does a Corin sales rep do and how, how did you become a sales rep for Corin? Okay, so I'll back up first. Where did I come from and Please, then yeah. how that helps with what I do? Um, I was a Hillel rabbi for a number of years and... Where one finds success in that work is really about not just having a specific vision for each individual student saying, this is where I want you to be, but rather really spending the time to get to know the students and the student body and then helping them with the questions that they bring to the table. And so the buzzword in the field is relationship. Indeed. And so um, I was ready to make a change in my life that um, I reached where I wanted to be on campus. And as a rabbi, there are certain limits as far as what uh, what one can do. But I was open, and I made a joke to another corn employee about trying to increase the presence of corn in Canada, which then snowballed into me starting to work for the company um, <laughs> on a preliminary basis. And after one year, they were open to me becoming full time, which then expanded my reach, which brought me to Chicago and uh, your lovely city. So, um, what what's, what cities are in your uh... Uh, your, your, your district. Like purview. Your purview, yeah. so, <laughs> it's a big T. It's Canada and the Midwest. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, but then like Seattle is also attached to that because it's so close to Vancouver and I have to go to Vancouver. Then it just makes sense for that to be me rather than um, California. Sure, um, sure. And so, so in your job as sales rep, you meet with rabbis, you meet with schools. and Correct. And so yeah. it's really a lot of those same skills that I got to use or I developed while working on campus. It's not just coming into every school and saying, it's a one-size-fits-all, here's what you need, this is the direction you need to go. It's really about building those relationships, the trust, um, with not just the rabbis, but also the ritual committees, as well as the executive directors, and all the different pieces that are involved in making decisions. And at the school level, it's not just the heads of school, it's also their teachers and being able to um, uh, engage in what questions and challenges they're facing, to then be able to say, this is the right product for you, or, you know what, we offer this, but I don't think it fits what you're trying to do right now. If we have a product that matches, being able to to provide that. If we don't have a product that matches, being able to maintain the relationship for either we've developed the product down the road, or they have a move in their vision and their direction that then comes in line with what we have uh, at play. So really, a lot of it is not just about buy my book. It's much more about who are you, where are you trying to go, and where can we find those meeting points and what we're trying to do as a company and really impact um, Jewish tefillah and Jewish learning uh, through the books that we are being able to produce. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about some of those educational um, resources because the shul actually does uh, stock, uh, I think, most of the uh, educational stages of, of the Sidarim, uh, and, and we use them in our uh, youth tefillah and Shabbat mornings. We have some stocked in the shul for kids who come uh, you know, during the week, I, I, in the winter especially, I often bring uh, my kids to Shul from Inchamarev that, you know, after their school day is over and uh, uh, we have a few copies of the various youth uh, cedarim, which they, they always, like, grab grab those first. Uh, right. They really enjoy them. So can you just, like, share? Like, I don't think all of our listeners actually know about that, and I, I think it's sure. interesting. 
So even before I started with the company, I was excited about the educational seed dream, the Megerman uh, educational series of uh, seed dream that we've been putting out, um, because I've really been struggling with the question around tefillah from the time that I was studying in Israel all the way through my different roles as a parent uh, working at a summer camp. Um, it's just been that nut that everyone's been trying to crack and uh, those have some greater success than others, but more or less, it's been a real trouble for most institutions. Yeah. And so what I what I became excited about when I first saw it was the realization that one, um, the Sidur is only a tool. There's no such thing as a silver bullet when it comes to uh, tefillah education, but having a better Sidur helps the process. Uh, number two, uh, and this really is the philosophy that Daniel Rose, who helped start the the series, uh, and it's continued through all four volumes, and I'll talk about those in a moment, um, is the idea that, uh, and I'm quoting him, is that when a child starts grade one, we don't give them a calculus textbook because they're going to study calculus in grade 12. That is true. <laughs> and why do we do that with tefillah? Uh-huh. Where a child is when we are starting them in their chinuch, in their educational exploration of tefillah, why do we think? Just giving them a Sidor with bigger font is somehow now more child-friendly, as opposed to being able to provide them with a tool that is accessible to their spiritual level. And I find that children are much more spiritual than adults. They're much mm. more open to asking those real meaningful questions as opposed to trying to reconstruct the world in their own reality. They're really trying to understand how does the world work. And so by giving them the tools on the page so that when they're engaged in the educational process and not just the davening, um, there are materials available to them to help explore and create that wonder around the different topics that come up page after page through a sidur. Also for the child who tends to zone out, mm-hmm. instead of having them look off to the corner of the room, there's something for them to focus on that really is about developing them as a Jew and developing them as somebody who is engaged in the process of tefillah right there on the page. Like illustrations or guiding questions. or Exactly. Yeah. And so that carries its way through um, all um, all four volumes. We have the Children's Sea Door, which is really designed for um, the preschool environment up to maybe grade one. Our Youth Sea Door, which is for an elementary school environment. And you'll have to excuse me if I use Canadian terms that don't fully <laughs> light up with all of your <laughs> listeners. But up to about grade five, pre-bar and bat mitzvah, we then have the Aviv and the NCSY. The Aviv is really our middle school Sea Door. The NCSY also, it's the exact same Sidor, it just includes um, Shabbat. Um, and so those we've designed for middle schools. And then the Anit Filah, which uh, Rabbi J. Goldman's developed, which is our high school and beyond Sidor. But we find that there are schools and shuls that mix and match yeah, between the different yeah. ages, all of those different pieces. But the idea really is, how do we get the right tool into both the right teacher's hands as well as the right um, learner's and governor's hands? And then the other piece associated with it, because there's all of these wonderful readings and reflections, and in the Anit Filah, there's a fantastic frequently asked questions that um, that Jay Goldman addresses from his own struggles, uh, which really gives permission to the student to struggle, is this idea that um, you can't just approach Tefillah at the time of Tefillah. That one really needs to be engaged with it. I learned this from one of my teachers, Rabbi Ari Ben David, um, who now runs Ayeka. This idea of you don't start running a marathon by running a marathon. You train for it. Yes. And so why is it this intimate moment we're either having with the Kaddish Baruch Hu that we're having with God, or if you're more Hershian that you're having with yourself in front of God, why is it that we don't engage in preparing ourselves for that in any meaningful ways? And so these Sidurim really do provide those 
texts and tools, um, both in a classroom environment as well as for the student by themselves, to really start developing those relationships so that when they're in tefillah, they might be saying the words of the tefillah, but there's a lot more built into it uh, of their own understanding. Wonderful, wonderful. So let me pivot to a, a broader question. There's some project that, that you're cooking up in your uh, the back offices and current headquarters that you're really excited about that uh, either is, has just been released that we may not have seen or, or heard about yet or that's uh, coming down the pike that we can all be excited to, to see. So I think there's two. One... I love the Talmud. Um, It was one of the pieces that my own studies that I've always really enjoyed my Talmud learning. And now our Talmud is complete. Um, Our full translation of uh, the Quran Talmud Bavli uh, with Ravadin Steinsaltz is now complete and available. And so that for me has been uh, such a a bracha, such a blessing to be able to now have it fully available um, and accessible, that it really is uh, a useful tool whether somebody has been learning their whole lives or they're new to learning, it's it's not going to be too high above them or too low below them. I, I, I want to say I agree. I, I, we use that in our Dafyomi group here at the shul. And uh, as the one who teaches Dafyomi most mornings, it, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool for me. It, it enables me to get just the support I need to be able to teach the class with some added notes, not, not too much. It's not overwhelming. And uh, so I find it a tremendous tool. The shul doesn't yet have a complete set because we started Dafyomi uh, here at Ashe Shalom with Maseka Ketubot. So we're a few years in, but, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, we'll eventually, uh, please God, uh, complete, complete our set in our Shul's library. The other series that I'm really excited about, we've only, we haven't fully released it to the public, but it's our Mikro Tadorot, um, which is uh, going to be released by Parsha, that you go uh, the normal way that you'd open a, a text. Uh, you have the full Parsha with Rashi um, and Rabbi Sachs's new translation. It's small enough that it's easy for you to bring each week to Shul for the Kriya. But when you open it the more English way, it's divided into three sections of three eras of collated uh, commentary. And so the first one is the sages. That it's all of the Rabbi's Chazal all the way through the late Midrashim um, the next level, you have the Rishonim through early Achronim, um, so the medieval era to the early modern era of commentators. And then the third era is more the modern era, the late Achronim, the later modern commentators, all the way through Nechama Leibovich, oh, wow. um, divided by Parsha. And so one could either do it that they try and do a survey of all of them, and, or that they could say, I'm going to focus on the sages this year, the Chazal piece, or I'm going to focus on uh, this, that there's a way to be able to be usable and accessible, whether it's a rabbi trying to write a drasha, whether it's a person trying to be able to share some Torah at the table, or if it's just somebody trying to advance their own learning to be able to be accessible beyond what they would normally uh, see. In That's a, amazing. Well, no one would ever have to talk again in shul if they could bring one of these with them, you know, to sit there. Uh, that, that's really great. And, that's, and so that, that's, I think I've seen one volume. It's for Parashat Shemot, is that? Correct. Okay. And what's the pace of... Uh... Um, it's a good question. I don't want to be held <laughs> to it. I, okay. I've seen some, right, but it's coming out. It's, it is, it's going to be quickly coming out. Oh, wonderful. That's really great. That's really, really exciting. Uh, terrific. So uh, one last question. I understand you also, uh, in addition to all that you do for Koran, you also have a small shul where you uh, serve uh, in Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about that shul? Where, where could our listeners find you? Uh, maybe some of our listeners already know you uh, from your shul. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So I'm very fortunate to be the rabbi of Beit Zion. Uh, it used to be called the Mizrahi Bayit for the 
those who are from Toronto or have heard of it. We're in the Bathurst-Wilson-Clanton Park neighborhood right on Wilson. Um, it's just a wonderful small shul of about 25 to 35 member families uh, who just like being together. That Many of them come from diverse backgrounds, but at the end of the day, they'd rather be together than not. And so it's just been such a wonderful place to serve. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all of her hard work in making this happen, not just editing the podcast, but even making sure that it gets recorded in a timely manner in the first place. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to send us fan mail or tell us in person or rate us five stars on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Um, And if you didn't like this episode, I think a really productive thing you could do with that negative energy would be to dedicate a sidor to the shul in honor of how much you dislike the podcast. I think that would be like a very productive use of those energies. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening.